Hi, my name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer, and you're listening to the Heart of It podcast, where we chat about what matters most in the world of HR, the people. And today, I am joined by what I would call a wished list guest. So there's a couple of areas that I am really passionate about, one of which, if we're going to talk high level, is diversity, but specifically the anti-racism work. And if you've been listening long enough, you've caught on that there is a specific niche in that that I really believe is critical for us moving forward and growing and evolving. And that is the role of how racism is passed down to our children, you know? So we're talking about generation upon generation that these beliefs have been passed down. And how does that happen? How does it stop? And one of the things that I've thought very early on to hypothesize and come to believe is that if we can shift and open the mindset of our children, there is a chance that one day we will have a world where equality uh, and diversity is truly valued in the way that we talk about it. Um, and so when I started following this guest actually on Instagram, I did so selfishly because of where I was as a parent. And to be honest, you know, with where I am as a human being today, I was really struggling with high anxiety, uh, almost kind of panic as to how to move forward, how to interact with my children, how to guide my children, not knowing if I was going in the right direction or the wrong direction. Uh, the guest that I'm going to share with you today started to share very practical, reasonable, tangible ways for me to start to explore that whole arena safely. She also just released a book that kind of tackles all of this uh, that just came out this month uh, that I am very excited to read and have not uh, gotten a chance to yet. However, if you just follow her on Instagram, you will see um, that this is information that needs to be shared. Long story short, I reached out kind of as a fan after following for a, a while uh, as we've been navigating this. And she said yes, uh, and I am so grateful that she made time to have this conversation today, and then I get to share her work with all of you. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Tracy Baxley. She is a professor, consultant, parenting coach, speaker, and mother to five children. She is the creator of and coach for social justice parenting, a parenting philosophy that moves families from fear-based parenting to parenting from a place of radical love. As a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, Dr. Baxley supports organizations and corporations in developing inclusive practices and policies that lead to workplace belonging and high productivity. Now, without further ado, let's do this. and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am so excited, as I mentioned in my intro today, that you have wish list guests, and I am joined by one today, Dr. Tracy Baxley. Uh, Tracy, you want to say hello? Hi, thanks for having me, Sam. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, uh, this topic um, combines two of things that I'm very, very passionate about, um, which is social justice work, but parenting. Um, and they're both near and dear to my heart. 
Um, and so I guess before we get too into the questions I want to ask and the topics I want to unpack, can you talk a little bit about your work um, and how it does combine those two together and maybe how you came to having this kind of specialty area in this work? Yeah, I think, like you said, there were really kind of two different worlds that kind of collided, right? Once I became a mom and once I started to really think about the world that I wanted to leave my children and the world that I wanted my children to live in, um, it was just like light bulbs, like, oh, this makes sense that we really kind of start this work at home very early. But my background is really um, in education and I am um, a professor at a university local here in South Florida. And I teach multicultural education and diversity courses. And so that kind of has always been my area, even as an elementary school teacher before I went to the higher ed level, um, it was always about those kids that uh, didn't fit in. Why didn't they fit in? How do we make the classroom better for everybody? How do we create policies in our schools that um, resonate with all, all children? And so I think once I became a mom, I really started to, and my kids, I have five children and three of them have uh, neurological differences, right? So one has, uh, is uh, fighting with uh, depression. Um, one was diagnosed with OCD at one point and one had, uh, has ADHD. And so knowing that my kids were coming from different places, you know, with the way they think and the way that they show up in the world. Um, and my kids are biracial, but I really am raising them to know what it means to really live in their black skin. Um, And so I really thought, you know what? This is not something that I can do alone. This is really something that I need other parents to really be thinking about too, and how they see my children, how they raise their children to see my children, how we can work in a way and a space and creating a world where we all can work together and creating um, really change agents, you know, as they grow up and they start to take over uh, what we're doing in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I first, when I saw your work, I was introduced to it by your Instagram account. Um, right after probably when I started to find influencers that could expand my way of thinking after we experienced the events of George Floyd and then all the ripples afterwards for my own personal growth. And obviously yours resonated with me because I am a parent. Um, and, The other piece of this is back in the day uh, when I first got tasked with teaching a diversity class as a corporate trainer, um, which I was really intimidated by because I, I am technically biracial, but I've kind of hidden from that whole identity and not wanting to unpack all of that. And then being forced to kind of figure out who am I before I get in front of a bunch of people telling them what diversity means and how they should expand their mindsets. I got to figure all that out for myself. And one of the things that came really clear to me as I was doing my research was that the change agents come in the youth. I mean, it made sense. There was all these articles where people were saying things about, we're just going to wait till that generation dies off and then racism's not going to exist anymore. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure that we probably uh, have been waiting for a while and that's not been the solution. Um, and so I got curious as to, well, why not? Uh, because obviously we're parenting the future generations. And so those ideas and beliefs are instilled, whether it's that or anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started to really uh, 
initially became so overwhelmed at my role as a parent because I was like, wow, I really could be leaving behind a really messed up world that my child could be contributing to because of how I'm interacting with my child. And that was the first kind of thing that came to me. And so when I found your work, I thought, wow, what a beautiful blend of someone who's actually telling us what steps and actions to take uh, to make these change agents in, in, a, in a positive fashion, um, because I think it could be an overwhelming task for people to take on initially. Do you find that when people are kind of dealing with the, the, the hurdles of parenting, but now understanding the legacy kind of piece that goes into this as well? Yeah, very overwhelming. <laughs> um, and I think, like we were saying um, before we started recording, that the world is changing, right? There are things happening in the world that we can no longer think is happening outside of our homes, but we have to start thinking about how do these things impact the way that I'm going to parent? Like, we have to show up very differently for our children. Um, I have a lot of uh, clients that I work with and starting to, I, I'm starting to see the shift, but who thought, I just want to protect my kids from the things that are going on out there, right? I don't want to dump, I don't want them to have to deal with that early. But if we're not dealing with that in our own homes, if we're not creating space for these conversations to happen, for our kids to be able to unpack it, unpack it in a safe space, then we're creating a generation of children who are still afraid to talk about race um, and racial issues. And so we have to, to start to really unpack our own um, anxieties and stress around that and fears and how we are able to um, create a space for ourselves to unpack it in order for us to be able to have those conversations with our own children. Yeah. Um, that is something that you, I, I just recently rewatched your TED Talk and you talked about fear uh, and transitioning to radical love. But, you know, I don't think we talk a lot about even just being parents, the amount of fear that we have surrounding being a parent. Um, and you tell a beautiful story in your TED Talk, so I highly recommend, and we will link that in the show notes for them to check that out. Um, but can you talk about uh, not only, I guess, can you talk about how our fear holds us back when we don't want to move towards, you know, our fear for our children's safety? If we don't move through that and get through it, how do we even begin to tackle the fears that our children are having? Like, how does this become this state of paralysis for us? And what are the dangers around that if we stay in that state? Uh, I guess I, this is going to be a little bit of tough love, <laughs> but yeah. I, I want you to think about that there are some parents that don't have that option to be able to stay in that space, right? Um, as a mom, as a black mom, I have to move through it, right? Because I have to show up for my kids in ways that other moms don't. And so just by not being, having the choice to not address it is a privilege that we need to, to examine on, on its own, right? Um, but I think we all have this need to protect our kids. We all have this fear um, that may be because of our own experiences as kids. It may be um, because we don't know what to say or how to say it, so we choose to say nothing. But I think when you start to do some of the reflection of where that fear is coming from, 
Um, I think that's the first step to addressing issues and topics with our children, that you have to do a lot of self-reflection, a lot of examining. Um, sometimes it's opening up things that may be hurtful based on some past experiences or, or um, based on things that happened in your childhood. And I'm also always very, um, it's very important as a parent that we show up in this intentional way. Like, what was it from our childhood or from our past experiences that were so positive that they are something that I am intentionally bringing with me as a parent to my own um, home? And then you also have to be as intentional about thinking about the things that happened in your childhood or that you've experienced that you know you don't want to bring into your parenting. And that takes unlearning and relearning. And so you have to be willing to do that first. Um, and I really think the, the only way to get it wrong is to do nothing at all. So we all have to learn and we all have to grow. And there's learning pains, right? There's two steps forward, three steps back. Um, but the idea is that we are continually practicing this idea of reflection and, um, as we move forward into our parenting. Yeah. And cause that fear can, it can be paralyzing in a lot of ways. Um, and so it's just a slow process of reflecting on those experiences. How do I unpack them in a way that I'm more intentional about showing up for my children, um, in a space that honors and that, um, guides our core values for our home. Yeah. Uh, I love that you gave some tough love because I think, I think with, you know, what happened a year ago when we were in a state of quarantine, so you're, you maximized fear of this pandemic that we're still navigating. Um, and because of the stillness, I think is what allowed the events that were happening around George Floyd and everything else after to really be able to be so loud. So I think that was a gift that was there is that we were able to actually spotlight and see what's been happening for decades. I mean, it's not anything new. Um, but what I did see, uh, and I know, I know that most of my listeners, I have a big population that are white. I know that I am half white. Um, and the fear was paralyzing. And we also heard the word privilege come out and, and we hear privilege and, and we want to have a adverse reaction to that. Nobody wants to say that they're privileged. <laughs> That's just the way that it goes. And, and in that tough love you threw, you know, basically both together, you know, we have this fear and then knowing that that fear almost exposes the fact that we have this privilege uh, and you're encouraging them to move into this, into this reflection uh, that's going to be messy, that's going to be hurtful. And I think one of the things as I have been unlearning and really understanding, and I don't have it all figured out, but as I've learned from my brothers and sisters who don't have the privilege of being half white and then half another race, but have to live as one color, um, you know, you don't have an option. You have to go there and, and, and you're familiar with pain. You're familiar with that fear that you can't avoid. And while others have this privilege to live in this bubble and avoid it, um, yet going into that, going into that is experiencing that pain is what is a necessary need that we need right now for us to change. I'm trying to figure out the nicest way to say this. Can we just talk about that a little bit 
more because I know that we have listeners that are sitting there and podcasts are a perfect place to sit here because you got no judgment and you're having these real conversations here. And so can we go back to that tough love, that person who's sitting there in fear, who now realizes that maybe these are symptoms of privilege and I want to step into that reflection. You know, how do I begin that path for somebody who's not used to all of these other things because I I come from a world where I'm just super privileged and lived in my bubble. Yeah, I want to first, let me unpack this idea of privilege, right? So we know that it, I always say, let's stop using it as a weapon and let's use it as a tool for change. So we are now um, weaponizing that word where it causes fear, it causes um, not positive reflection, really. It's not being used in a way for us to, to really um, do some positive self-reflection. Um, it's causing us to, it's causing more distance, I think, that it puts between groups of people. Um, and I want us to really think about all of these different identities that we hold, right, in our, in our lives. For me, I'm a Black woman. I'm a, a Christian, I'm heterosexual, I'm cisgender, um, I'm middle, upper middle class. Um, so all of these are my identities. And in some of these identities, I hold privilege. In some of these identities, I am traditionally marginalized. And so I want to think about those ways that I have privilege, like socioeconomically. How do I use that for a tool of change? How do I use that to support, to empower people who may not have that privilege. And so if we can look at our privilege as something that uh, can be used to help others and support others, instead of using it as something negative that we feel that we have to um, hide or that we have to um, think about in a negative way. So if we can start there, I think that may lift some of the guilt and the fear around the word privilege and how we use that privilege. Um, and then when we, when we really kind of unpack this idea of fear, you know, fear can come from change, right? You're used to doing things one way and it's hard to now think about doing things another way, especially if you don't really know that it's broken, right? Mm -hmm. Um, fear makes you very vulnerable and vulnerability is sometimes very hard. Um, sometimes even more tough when we're thinking about being vulnerable with our children, um, fear, uh, there's a lot of fear around getting things wrong, right? So we don't want to do anything at all. So we, we need to unpack where our fear is coming from. Um, again, and that goes back to like you were saying, Sam, about the reflection piece. How do I look at and, um, dismantle my fears and the cause of them or the source of those in order to be able to move forward? And I think, Part of that, when we're looking at it from a perspective of being a parent, um, it's about viewing the world from other perspectives um, and not just our own. Because see, like when we start to want to protect our children and keep them in that bubble, we're only thinking about our own kid. We're not thinking about all the children in the world who may need to be protected, who may need um, for you to show up in a different way. And so if we can shift the way our fears keep us from doing and instead um, walking through that fear with the thing I call radical love, right, where we're seeing other perspectives and we're thinking about 
how does my fear or how does my privilege impact children that are not in my house? And then what am I teaching my children by holding on to those fears um, as they grow up and they become part of um, adults into the real world? Yeah. I love how you just took a word and, and you said it so eloquently, weaponizing privilege and making it this positive tool for change. And then you just took parenting and made the why go beyond your household to something that could impact children across the entire world. Um, and I think that's how we should view parenting. When we gift, when we, when we birth a life into this world um, and we'll, the multiple ways that you can, uh, you know, when you take responsibility for that life, you have the ability to change the world. And that's what I love about your work. So we've um, been dancing around the first of the ROCKS framework, which is your social justice uh, parenting framework. Can you just talk, uh, you can tell us what the what the acronym stands for, but talk a little bit about the intention behind the framework. Like, are these steps? Are these things to keep in mind? Is it a cycle? How do you view this when you were putting it together in this nice little beautiful model? Yeah, I think that uh, the first two are foundational, right? I think um, we need to be doing the first two in order to get to the last three. Um, and so it is because I'm really a big proponent of always being open to learning and to growing. So they there are, um, it's, it's a cycle in some senses, right? Some things you have to go back to the R on and before you can get to the another letter and the acronym is ROCKS. Um, and it's just a foundational um, building blocks really for showing up in a space of social justice parenting. And um, R, the R, which we talked about is the reflection piece, right? And it's really about thinking about your own childhood, thinking about your own experiences and how you're, how you're showing up as a parent with those experiences and um, being conscious about the decisions that you make are made for your children and not just because of your own past experiences. Um, and I think we should always uh, live in a perpetual state of self-reflection um, mm -hmm. as our children grow and their, their needs change and their ages change and the world changes. We always need to be looking back to see what we're bringing, what we didn't bring, how we did something well, what we need to change um, as, we, as we parent. Um, the O is open dialogue. Um, and that is really creating safe spaces in your home so that your children can have discussions around hard topics, um, how you show up, how they learn to trust, how you are vulnerable that teaches them to be vulnerable, um, how you use who they are in ways to have conversations about what's going on in, in the world. And um, that goes to the saying that I always say that parenting is activism. So the things that we're teaching our kids in our home, the things we're talking about in our homes, although that's in private, they show up in public spaces because what we do in our homes builds the characters of the kids that are going to be uh, working alongside my children, right? And so uh, it's very important that we have dialogue around what's going on in the world at home because the bottom line is if you're not teaching it, they're learning it somewhere else and uh, you want to, to be able to guide their learning around tough, tough issues. And then the C is for compassion. And I look at compassion and the K is for kindness. So that's the C and the K. And I look at it 
um, with these three different levels, like self-kindness and self-compassion, right? So how do we treat ourselves? Which is really, for me, self-compassion is the hardest for me because I have to remind myself to give myself grace. And so, but I also know that the way I treat myself, my children are watching. So we have to be careful about that. So we look at it from ourself. We'll look at it from how we show up for our kids. So how are we showing our kids compassion? How are we showing our kids kindness? Because that's teaching them. And then the third level is um, how are we teaching our kids to show up in the world? So how are we developing practices um, around giving back to others or treating others with, with compassion? So those, again, are habits that we want to build in our homes um, that our kids will go out into the world automatically doing that. So that's R-O-C-K. And then the S is social engagement. So now we're teaching our kids to be kind and be compassionate. So how is that going to show up in the real world? What are we teaching our kids about making the world better for everybody? Um, how are we teaching our kids to be activists? How are we teaching our kids to... Um, act on uh, injustices around them. So that's the, the last part of it. Yeah. Um, I love the three levels that you just went through with compassion. Uh, number one, I think self-compassion is definitely, I would be right there with you. Uh, I'm, you know, I can't, and you, you said this in a, a couple of your talks, but you know, that whole, I'm a horrible parent, it comes, it creeps up very quickly. Um, and this path is never perfect. So it is always two steps forward and two steps back. Um, but the other two levels, you know, the compassion I want to have towards my children, uh, the compassion I want them to have towards the world. I think, you know, showing the loop back to reflection, this goes back a lot to your childhood. You know, I think sometimes we're instilled with this idea that we just parent the way that we were parented. Uh, yet if we keep doing the same things and we generate the same results. Absolutely. Um, and so I think when you, when you said that, that was, you know, that's been one of my hard things, you know, in the moment I'll have the mama bear come out and freak out. And then I'll be like, that's not what I want to be. And my kids have shown me a lot of grace as I come back and, and talk to them and say, that's not, that's not who I want you to be in the future. And let me tell you where I was at and why I had the emotional release. Um, and if I have to be the messy parent in hopes that you have the more even keel parent at the uh, end of the day when they have kids, uh, it's definitely worth it. Um, but I think your levels of compassion give hints to the reality of what this journey looks like. And I think if Sam, if I could just jump in for a second, yeah. you, you talking about how you go back to your kids to have that dialogue, like, you know what, I, I didn't show up my best, my best self. Um, it really is creating that safe space so that they'll be able to do that too. Um, you're showing them that um, mistakes can be made. We apologize for those mistakes, um, but that we can, we can be vulnerable um, and we can create safety around the mistakes that we make as a family. So I think that's a really important um, practice. So I wanted to just kind of slow down for a second to, just to say that if we have more parents that are doing that, um, when we when we mess up to say to our kids, this was a mistake, you know, um, and this is how I'm going to fix this moving forward. Or this doesn't align, the way I showed up, it doesn't align with our core values of our home. 
Um, And I need to get back in alignment and I need you to know that I apologize for being out of alignment and I'm going to come next time I'll do better. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think just because you're a parent, you are human and there is never going to be perfection. And so, yes, I think we underestimate the ability of going back. We underestimate that even in the workplace. I mean, my gosh, from an HR perspective, we still don't go back and have conversations to resolve conflict, which can still make a huge difference. Yes. So um, I want to shift a little bit and just get your perspective applying this to workspaces, because obviously we have working parents, but a lot of these people are HR practitioners as well. Mm -hmm. And they're navigating this fun bucket of everything that's happening in the world is either their fault or they're supposed to know how to fix it, including anything that's a diversity issue um, until they have the budget to hire a diversity consultant or have the department expand, you know, work that we were expected to do 20 years ago, but never given the money now magically supposed to appear in a snap of a finger. Um, And so it was a while ago, but you did a post on Instagram that talked about when the blackout happened, when everybody did not post on social media, they did the black boxes. Uh, This was also the time where we started to see a lot of organizations being called out who were participating as activists, but maybe their core values were not aligned. And there was other things showing they were just doing it to kind of look like they were politically being correct, even though they're not really supporting the work. Um, And that, once again, generated a whole bunch of fear where people are like, I don't know what to do if I do something I'm not doing. I might be in the wrong. If I don't do anything, I might be in the wrong. Um, and you, you basically had a really beautiful call out just to say, you know, look at your intentions behind your work. HR has this beautiful position where they actually know the reality of what the mission, vision, and values are of an organization. They have, they know what the breathing beast actually is, Mm -hmm. um, of what they're working with. And so when we're talking about inclusion, we're talking about, being an example as a parent, you know, because now this is an extension of what I'm doing. Um, what advice can you give somebody who's listening, who's obviously overwhelmed, uh, trying to guide their organization, also stay in tune with their values? You know, how do I know that I'm I'm moving in the right direction as I'm unlearning? And, you know, all this stuff is happening at the same time, yet we're required to take action to show to the external world that we are an ally, which we've heard thrown out there many times. You know, what do you say to that individual who's being a leader but is still a little bit lost in the process themselves? Yeah, I, I would I would first say um, get a pulse on what is going on in the organization in terms of what people are feeling. Um, I think you have to know what your employees or your team members are feeling Um, And I think before you can really worry about what the outside world is thinking, you really have to do an internal check. Um, I don't know if that could be a survey, it could be a needs assessment, whatever that is, but getting a a, a pulse on what your employees feel the culture of um, your organization is. Um, And that's where you kind of have to start. I also um, like this example. So I had an organization, a small business hiring me to, um, she, uh, the owner, had a um, client 
who was offended by something that another one of her clients, because she had them in a group, said. And so she went back to the uh, client that was offended, went to to the owner's um, website to see what her inclusion and diversity policy was. And she had no policy. So she's a very kind-hearted, empathic person who really uh, believes in inclusion, but she had no, she had, she, she had it nowhere. And so she ended up hiring me to help her create this. But just because you have it, you feel it in your heart or in the company, if it's not out in the world, people don't know that that's where you stand. Um, and so I think it's really important to really get a grip of what your, your employees are feeling and then how is that showing up in our daily practices in our company and how is that showing up in the world? And um, it, I think it's, you really have to take, take steps. Like I have this formula, it's called a path, right? If there are different levels that you, you, you have to go through to kind of almost like a checklist, not in terms of diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion, but am I doing this? Am I doing this? And what are those things that we need to do to move us forward? So depending on where you are right now, if you don't have an inclusion and diversity statement um, or policy, that's a great place to start. But I think in doing that, you also have to get a handle of how people um, within the company, what they feel about the, the, the environment and the culture that's already created within the organization. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wholeheartedly ag- agree with all of that. And I, um, I love that you, even when you reference four months, like it's, um, or, or a, a path, like it's not an overnight thing. You don't just say, we're going to have an inclusion statement and put something together. And the fact is, if it doesn't reflect internally what's going on, it's not going to have any true substance to it. Yeah. So, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and it's always fluid, right? It's always yeah. changing. You know, we can't, say we've done it (laughs) and then move on that um, it always is changing based on who is part of our organization based on what's going on in the world. And so we have to always stay on top of it, just like we do a budget, just like we do all the things that we think are important. Um, Your, um, your DEI work is, is one of those things that is not extra. It really is a part of, I mean, there's studies, uh, Deloitte, uh, Harvard, they all did studies that really show that people who are plugged in into the DEI work are more, um, the profit is higher in the company, that they are more innovative than their competitors. So there's a, it's not just about the people, although that's really important. It also is about the bottom line, that you really get more out of your team members when they feel a culture of belonging. Yeah. Yes. And um, I love that you jumped in there and said that it has to be fluid. You know, when I think about places where you could take a pulse and you could find that most of your staff and team and even leaders are not comfortable with all this stuff that we've been talking about, maybe are living in their bubbles and haven't even started to unpack it. And so you're not going to have this blazing diversity statement, but you might have an inclusion statement that starts where you are today as you continue to unpack that work and then open it a little bit more. Um, You know, I think 
and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I also think of DEI work sometimes in organizations just like a child that it starts in an infancy stage and they have to go through the learning and it's going to have messy teenage years and toddler tantrums and all that kind of fun stuff uh, before it matures into adulthood where you can actually see what you truly are able to do. Absolutely. I love that analogy. So, um, so let's, I want to like end this and then obviously I want to give you time to talk about your book. Cause I'm really excited about this cause I'm a big fan of books and obviously this is all going to be all this, uh, you know, I'll just say it right now. I highly recommend that you follow Tracy's Instagram channel because there's just always tons of tidbits there. And if that's any hint to what's in the book, it's going to be awesome to have a resource like that in your hands. Um, but I just want to talk from an HR perspective about supporting employees who are trying to be doing your, your social justice parenting model, you know, trying to do this in their individual lives, because that's the other component is that we're supporting people as the workplace and these people doing this work, navigating this stuff with their child, regardless if I have uh, a black, brown or white child and, and what that journey looks like. And we know that mental health, we've been talking about a lot on the podcast, has become a huge struggle, um, heightened since the pandemic. And so this throws that in there. It has a nice little uh, complication of making everything more complex. But what is the best way for us to support um, our employees who, I mean, it's not like they come to work and say, hey, FYI, I'm doing social justice work internally and trying to build a really strong household. Um, but I like to be an optimist and believe that that's really happening. And how do I show as a workplace that I'm supporting and, and, and encouraging that any thoughts as to what we could do in that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I find that the pandemic has allowed us to not to separate our lives in these compartmentalized ways, right? Because we had to work at home because we saw kids walking in the back of meetings, you know, um, I think people are realizing that if you want people to show up 100% on the job, we have to support all of them, all of who they are. And I have to tell you, Sam, I have four corp corporations who have reached out to me um, in the last probably three months to hire me to do social justice parenting in their companies. So it's starting to happen. People are starting to recognize that. How do we help our our parenting, um, our, our families with this parenting issues around social issues so that they can be a little bit more present when they are at work? Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm having um, like book chats and the CEO is interviewing me to talk about the parenting things. Um, they're talking about what that, how that supports them at work, knowing that their household is in a good space. Um, I have another um, corporation who who's buying thousands of books to give to their employees in order for us to be able to have like book chats around that um, and what that looks like for them at home and how that can support them in the workplace. So we're starting to see more and more corporations or organizations who are really thinking about the whole person um, and how they can support, support them on different levels. In addition to the mental health, you know, that's huge. Yeah. 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 And I think they're all connected. And 
that that makes my heart so happy that you just told me that organizations are reaching out and doing that. And personally, from my perspective, your framework, I mean, yes, it's in a parenting model. It applies in so many different contexts. And so the work that these individuals will be doing with you from a parenting perspective, but, you know, I've always been a fan in corporate training of saying, I'd rather teach you a skill you can use at home. That's a safe space. And then it will transfer to the workplace, which is when we put all our fancy masks on and things like that. And I agree with you. I think the fact that that line has blurred and we kind of got fully exposed with our home life merging with our professional life and we can't have these separate worlds entirely anymore um, has really maybe been a true gift for us to manifest some real powerful change, which is what we were talking about before we started recording. I mean, I, I really think we're, we're at a pivotal moment in history. Absolutely. And I think we all get a chance to choose what we want what piece of it we want to be part of that change. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. We're, we're at crossroads, right? And you have to be intentional about the path that you're, you're ready to take um, and how that will impact your children 10, 15 years from now. I, I think we, we cannot sit on the fence uh, or, or let other people, other things di- dictate um, the way we're going to show up. There's no more protecting, sitting in the bubble. We really have to be proactive in making those decisions. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, I want to thank you for letting me pick your brain today on all my random thoughts that I had as I've been watching your work over the last couple of years. Do you have anything else you want to share with the viewers or maybe anything that you want to talk about in regards to the book that's being released? I think it's actually probably going to be out by the time where this is actually airing. Yeah, no, the, the, I'm excited about the book and where the journey that that would take us on. And the book uh, has a lot of self-reflection parts that I'm asking you to dig a little bit. And um, and I agree with you. And thank you for saying that, that the framework really, it, you don't have to be a parent to really be able to use that framework in your life. Um, so I'm excited about it. Good. Excellent. Um, yeah, so... Thank you so much, Tracy. It really has been a pleasure today. Um, I'm going to, there's going to be an ad here right after promoting the book, but I'm going to tell you to get the book, check her out on Instagram, follow her on the show notes. And thank you, Tracy, for your work. It's amazing what you're doing and uh, so needed. I know it's been helpful to me as a parent, as a mother, um, and as a human. So thank you so much, Sam. I really appreciate that. And her new book, Social Justice Parenting by Tracy Baxley, offers the essential guidance and curriculum parents have been searching for. Dr. Baxley suggests that parenting is a form of activism and encourages parents parents to acknowledge their influence in developing compassionate, socially conscious kids. Dr. Baxley also guides parents to do the work of recognizing and reconciling their own biases and to take inventory of their actions and beliefs, develop self-awareness and accountability, and become role models. Social justice parenting will offer parents everywhere the opportunity to nurture a future generation of humane, compassionate individuals. Social justice parenting by Dr. Tracy Baxley is available at your favorite bookstore. Buy your copy today.